Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, bring the world closer together. This is the Commune podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. In addition to our courses on yoga, meditation, and personal development, Commune also offers an array of social impact courses, including Unwinding Prejudice, Redefining Leadership, and Organize March. If you are interested in enrolling in any of those course offerings for free, please email me at jeffk at onecommune.com. We can all benefit from learning and growing in order to better serve our communities. So this week, we're talking about something ubiquitous that we barely notice. I'm referring to plastic. My guest today, Kate Nelson, is a special person, though she doesn't think of herself as completely human. You'll know what I mean in a minute. But she is special because of the work that she does in making people aware of the harm of plastics on our personal and planetary health. Kate collected plastic from the Great Pacific Trash Gyre, the massive conglomeration of plastic refuse in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, measuring about two times the size of Texas. She's lobbied government officials, spoken at scholarly institutions, founded an environmental nonprofit, and has personally stopped using disposable plastic for 10 years. That means no straws, water bottles, plastic shopping bags, shampoo bottles, makeup containers, the list goes on, and it's frankly amazing to see how much of our everyday lives are riddled by disposable single-use plastic. Kate also has a book out. It's called I Quit Plastics and You Can Too. And on today's show, we'll talk about just that, how we can alter our habits to take better care of ourselves and our planet. My name is Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune. Hello, I'm Kate. Um, I'm plastic-free mermaid. I'm a mermaid, and I haven't used single-use plastics for a decade. Mm. So I teach that lifestyle. I teach how not to use plastics. I teach about the science, the reasons why we shouldn't use plastics. And then I, I'm a mermaid, so I free dive and I surf and I sail and I love the ocean. And you didn't just wake up one day 10 years ago and just say magically, plastic-free mermaid. <laughs> you know, right? This sort of like is not, would, would not be a normal response to humanity. So I'm wondering what experience in your life led you to make that decision? Yeah. So I was uh, volunteering at a nonprofit um, in Santa Barbara in college, and I learned it was Jean Michel Cousteau's Ocean Future Society. And I was working for a scientist there. Her name's Dr. Andrea Neal. And she was studying microorganisms ingesting microplastics which at the, I had no idea, no context for what that meant. So she had to back up and explain to me that plastic does not biodegrade. It takes about a thousand years to break down into the environment. Um, and in that lifespan of a thousand years, it doesn't just break down like a banana peel, but it breaks up 
into millions of tiny little fragments or pieces. Um, first, the size of a fingernail, like a, a macroplastic, then smaller, like the size of a sesame seed, like a, a microplastic, and then beyond, we, we can't even see it with the human eye anymore, it's, it's a nanoplastic. Um, and then it's working, these, these little bits make their way out into the ocean, and they're ingested by microorganisms as well as a range of sea creatures, which then works its way up the food chain. So just there's so much science around this, but that, that understanding that plastic does not biodegrade was shocking to me. Because I was in college, so I was, you know, smoothie cups and red solo beer cups at parties and yeah. all this plastic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you cannot turn your head right. in modern society without seeing plastic. In fact, that I know it's my wife sort of has this disease of I don't know it's yet to be named maybe you can help her name it when she walks into a room she is surveying the room now mm. for essentially single-use plastics she's seen the matrix yes she's yeah. seen the matrix yeah. so and then you traveled out to uh what I believe is like the big gyre in the Pacific is that right yeah and you know we've I think the images of that have started to be popularized, but that, you know, the size of it is just sort of beyond comprehension. I've seen like the size of France or the size of Texas. I mean, tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah. Oh man. Um, I mean, they're all over the world too, these gyres. So what mm. it is, is it's our currents, um, our trash maybe gets blown into the ocean or travels along rivers and streams and makes its way out to the ocean. And then it floats out at sea and then makes its way into a current. And then those currents travel around the world and then they converge in places. They run into each other and they form these large whirlpool-like systems between continents in those great open spaces. And there are these big swirling whirlpool-like systems and all the trash collects there. And it creates this kind of dead spot where life can't really survive because there's big chunks of um, marine litter like nets and rope and um, discarded laundry tubs and just huge bits of plastic and then it's all broken down into these tiny little bits so then it's kind of this soup so it's not um, when when Captain Charles Moore first discovered this about 11 or so years ago um, it was sensationalized and, and people thought it was this floating island right. and so this is why we have to be careful about how we report facts and things because everyone's like this plastic island you can go stand on it <laughs> and you can't it's like it's more of a soup um and so i was shocked and went out to visit it and yeah i took a sample and it was just this you know you can't separate out those plastics because they're the same size as the phytoplankton um how do you clean that and these are all over the world there's there's currents all over so there's these little tiny gyres all over the world and about six five or six main gyres yeah so you know i was reading a little bit um about the evolution and and, and the invention of plastic mm. and you know obviously plastic is a it is a amongst the biggest problems to solve right now yeah. but initially it was actually invented to solve a problem which was somewhat as i understand it sort of conservationist in in essence which was we were using and this might be great mythology so you have to help us because <laughs> essentially we were using raw materials from nature like ivory tortoise shells mm. obviously wood you know for a whole variety of devices and trinkets and everything that mm. man uses some this is sometime in the early 1900s i believe mm -hmm. and that you know there was all this human innovation around creating this polymer substance to essentially conserve 
Right. Um, but that no longer seems like a relevant concept. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think oh, we got excited about this new technology and instead of, um, you know, and, and especially in wartime, it proved so convenient. It right. proved such a useful material. It was so durable and weather resistant and so, you know, and light. So for soldiers to be carrying, um, you know, cases and, and different thing, parts of their uniform to be made of this material was really useful. Um, and so, yeah, again, it, it, it was serving a purpose more than like metal or heavier materials would use. Um, and then at home, back in, in the States at least, uh, with most of the men away at war, the women were entering the workforce and um, they also had to take care of the family and cook food. So uh, plastic was, oh, well, how convenient we can make packaged food in this and make disposable plates and silverware. So again, it was like, oh, this is serving a need. It's serving this, um, we're conserving time and energy and, and supporting the women and like it's, it was good. You know, it was seen as this solution, but we didn't consider the consequences of the scale with which we were rolling it out, mm -hmm. the vast quantity, the, the amount of single use and, and where it was all going to end up. Yeah. One of the things that I think that I, that you talk about that I really find fascinating is um, it's a little bit more philosophical in nature. Mm. And, you know, if you look at the invention of plastics as to, um, in some ways, provide this convenient tool that used to be provided by natural, by nature. Mm. And in a way, we have gotten so personally divorced from nature. Mm. that we see our identity as completely separate from it. And because we're separate from it, we feel like we have dominion over it. Mm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'd love to. I, I think that a lot of people are, are feeling this disconnection and this separation. Um, and it's, it's ironic because we're never separate from nature. We're, we always are connected to nature. Um, we breathe air, we drink water, we eat food that grows from soil, but you're right, we've created all of these synthetic barriers. We've built houses around ourselves and walls and, um, you know, we pump synthetic air through our buildings and we package our food in synthetic materials. So we've, we've, we've manufactured that separation. Mm -hmm. um, and you're right, it's, it's given us this sort of like us and them, this separation that, um, again, is just is something of our own invention. So when when we start to come back to oh wow we actually you know we want herbs as our medicine and teas as our medicine or we're taking all these supplements and all of these natural foods to get our our energy or we're paying all this money to go on medicine retreats or paying all this money for a week for a yoga retreat and we're trying to reconnect or tune into this um higher this this self or go inside and like heal and do all this healing from all of the years we spent disconnected yeah um, it's, it's so ironic because we, we've certainly were never actually disconnected. It was just a, it was a mental framework that we created. Yeah, completely. And even from a genetic perspective, we are more bacteria and fungi than yes. we actually are ourselves. <laughs> Trillions um, of bacteria. Yeah. I mean, mm. as when they mapped the human genome, I think in the nineties and, you know, they were, 
assuming because we are such these brilliant, complex beings that they would come back and we would have millions of genes. Well, it mm. turned out we only had 20,000 or so. And, you know, that led to, well, what is going on? How are we functioning from a digestive mm. perspective and all this other stuff? And now you've seen over the last 10 years this kind of efflorescence in the research and study around microbiome right. and more of that DNA. So we're really more, even our corporeal physical selves are mm. more nature than they are truly us. Right. They're uh, mostly dirt and water. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of different kinds of plastics out mm. there. And uh, I think just from my um, my sort of neophyte perspective i like you know look on the bottom and there's different numbers and mm -hmm. what does all that signify or does it mean actually anything and yeah. is it just like a m myth to confuse us it is a myth yeah <laughs> um it's one of my kind of uh favorite myths to bust around um these false solutions to our waste problems mm. um you know when we when we started using plastic for all these you know in world war ii um for at home disposable materials forks and plates um recycling was invented by the plastics industry so big oil was like okay how do we make people feel better about all this plastic that they're just throwing away oh let's create a separate bin for all of these materials and say don't worry we're going to repurpose we're going to recycle these things into yeah. equal materials but now we know that it's not actually being recycled. Things get downcycled, plastic can be downcycled, but unlike metal and glass and, and um, paper that can be recycled into something of equal value, plastic can't really, because there's so many different types. And amongst those types, even you know PET, polyethylene terephthalate, which is the most commonly recycled, plastic right. water bottles. Or is that number one? Number one. Yeah. Number one. <laughs> um, but they use that in, in making food packaging as well. And, and even those, you know, it's, it's crusted with soda or it has a sticky glue on it from a label or it has um, print, you know, color printed onto it, ink printed onto it, or it's been dyed with another color or it has phthalates, different chemical additives to give it different characteristics like rigidity or opaqueness or something. Right. So it's this one, one plastic PET, but it's got all these different things in it. So it's really hard for it to be a pure material like simply glass or metal. When you say downcycled, what does that actually mean? Re so when they say 9% has been recycled, they mean downcycled. They mean downcycled. Yeah. Okay. And downcycled is essentially taking that plastic and making it into some other plastic. Some other plastic. That yeah. then does not generally decompose well, right? Oh, correct. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's not, it's not going to break down. Because like these pure <clears throat> PET bottles are made from virgin plastics. And when you recycle these plastics, because there's so many contaminants in it, when you melt something down, it's got all these different, um, and even you know, plastic leaches, as we were talking about earlier, but it also is absorbent, so it absorbs toxins in its environment. Mm. So recycling um, plastic into something that we could eat or drink out of just is unsafe. Yeah. And, so, and there's not regulation around this yet. So it, this happens a lot. Um, we're so innovative as humans, and so we get excited and we want to, oh, recycle it and use this here and there, but then the, 
the, the policy or the legislation can't keep up with our innovation, the science can barely keep up. You know, we release right. a study and then, and then business and technology evolves and, um, and we haven't yet been able to regulate or, or um, yeah, create meaningful legislation around these things to protect us, protect our health or our environment. Yeah, I mean, there are these kind of global packs. I mean, I, I think the Paris Treaty addressed some of this mm. stuff, but you know, countries, particularly in Southeast Asia, I don't really think are heeding some of the guidelines. But or, that's that's the yeah. really interesting part about this is because Southeast Asia is where the Western countries ship our trash. Yeah. So they get a bad rap, but it's because we are sending our trash to these countries that don't have the waste management systems in place. Mm. I mean, that's when this this becomes not just an environmental injustice, but more of a social injustice, because why are they supposed to be responsible for the trash of the world? Right. So this sounds like uh, kind of an obvious question, it's sort of like an analytic truth, like a, a bachelor is unmarried or something. But what is single-use plastic? Mm, disposable, yeah. one-time yeah. use. So you use it once and then you throw it away. Yeah. Which was really interesting for me when I first quit single-use plastic because I was like, oh, straws, bags, bottles, done. And then, I, and then I was realizing as I was shopping that all the food packaged in plastic, that's single-use. You know, even the shampoo bottles and the makeup containers, you know, the packaging around my technology, like all of that is single-use plastic because you just unwrap it or you use your shampoo for a couple months and then you throw that container away. Right. So it's pervasive and insidious, really. I mean, what are, I mean, you gave a few examples yeah. of perhaps not the obvious single-use plastics because I yeah. think there's a general movement against using sort of plastic bags right. at grocery stores. Um, and I suppose that, that's you know, incremental progress, mm. but it really, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, in a way, because it's sort of greenwashing some of the other issues. But yeah. I mean, when you think of like the biggest single use plastics that people might not think of, mm. I mean, health and beauty aid industry, probably. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard to narrow it down because I mean, that's why we're doing a course on it, right? It's, yeah. it's, there's so much mm. plastic that we don't even realize around us. Like I look around here and I think the, I think the one that is most, is most shocking is our clothing. Um, and that's not single use because we, we, we wear our clothing over and over again. But if, if I think about what's the most shocking amount of plastic, that, that we use and we're contributing to plastic pollution. It's when we wash our clothing, thousands of micro, like little threads, synthetic threads are shaken loose. Mm. Little, little threads are shaken loose of natural clothing as well. But it's when they're synthetic that they're ending up, you know, they're, they're out the laundry um, machine out into the waterways and that goes out into the ocean because the treatment plants aren't able to separate those fibers out. Yeah. These little fibers um, weave their way into the gastrointestinal tract and then because um, plastic itself is toxic, so, okay, so it's in the environment, it's piling up as pollution, it's um, leaching its toxins into the ground and the soil, the groundwater. Um, it's also shedding these little microfibers and also any packaging is shedding microplastics, these little particles. Um, that then are being ingested by wildlife and these negative impacts, which I'll get to, bioaccumulate or get bigger as um, other creatures eat them and they make their way up the food chain. Mm. So if we're eating fish, if we're eating meat that have been eating plastic, all of those negative toxins are bigger in our bodies. So what are these negative toxins? So there's plastic in this thing here? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you that thing. That's why I was thinking maybe if you're not fully human, maybe you're half plastic. Oh, you were you setting me up. Good. You yeah. seem like you're doing a pretty good job. <laughs> okay, sorry to interrupt. No that. problem. Um, yeah, so so plastics shedding these little microfibers, and it also leaches. So it is. Um, it's attracted to fat, so if it's storing anything with fat in it, it the, the container is going to leach into that food or that drink. So if you have a latte you know, with milk in there, it's going to leach to that milk. Um, if it's storing anything that's hot, so if you're storing hot food into plastic Tupperware or you're getting takeout in a plastic box or um, you're microwaving food in plastic, the plastic chemicals are going to transfer into your food or drink. And if something's sitting on a shelf for a really long time in plastic, like duration of time in that plastic, it's going to leach. Um, and what these chemicals do, we're finding, is um, they actually act like estrogen in our bodies. So when we ingest these foods or drink these drinks that are contaminated with the, with the plastics, um, they travel through our bloodstream and trigger all of our estrogen uh, sensors or receptors around our body and um, this disrupts our endocrine system and, and eventually our reproductive systems and leads to all sorts of diseases which I can talk about. Mm. Well before you talk about that because I'm very squeamish about anything medical so you <laughs> might, I might have to go <laughs> off camera for that particular okay. piece. Um, I believe in the general, I'm an optimist and I, I believe that it's people in their general nature are good. Yes. And they, when confronted with this kind of problem, people can feel paralyzed mm. by the enormity of it and they simply just go numb. So what would you say to that person that is paralyzed by the enormity of the problem? Mm. What can they do? Baby steps. Well, first of all, quit the obvious ones. Quit single-use plastic bags, bring your own bags. Um, quit using single-use plastic water bottles or drink bottles, bring your own bottle. Um, and if you forget these things, get resourceful, go without. Mm -hmm. Or use a cup, try and find some other vessel, or use a cardboard box at the grocery store to use, get your groceries out. Um, bring your own coffee cup, start bringing your reusables, build those habits. Um, change where you shop, shop at the, sh the farmer's markets, um, support local makers, artisans, makers of, um, you know, vegan coconut yogurt or something, you know, like research and find people that are making these things and support those small local food movements. Um, shop bulk, go to the refill centers, bring your own containers, set your own up at, at your home, like find these suppliers and just order a large bag of beans and keep it in your basement and then you can just refill for yourself. Um, so just changing how we're consuming. So instead of just blindly consuming and trusting all these corporations that are delivering us all these packaged products, um, kind of coming back into ourself and, and seeing how we can make little changes day to day. Use, you know, bring our own materials, make things at home. I make all my bath products. I make much of my food products at home. So it sounds like what you're espousing is a more sacred way of living. Mm. And um, I'm curious, as you started to um, instantiate more of these plastic-free habits into your life, how did that change you holistically? Mm. Yeah, beautiful question. I think that that is definitely the mindset that we want to take when we approach quitting something as pervasive and ubiquitous as plastic, 
that instead of um, what I did, which was kind of this just huge quit, like I'm done with this forever, which <laughs> was extreme. Guillotine approach yeah. <laughs> to plastic. Yeah, um, which, you know, of course, as I said, I then continued to be a learning journey as I realized what that meant. And, um, but yeah, it's just approaching this as, as, you know, we are connected to nature. Like we are not better or bigger than anything in nature. In fact, we are connected. We're a part of this. And just f creating that holistic um, appreciation is so fulfilling and rewarding. And that's what makes these changes sustainable. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it can be really overwhelming to think, oh, I have to make all my stuff. I have to, I have to bring things. I don't know how I'm going to change my routine. But when, you're, when you look at this as like this beautiful, holistic lifestyle, it, that all makes sense. That all is easy. It's like, of course, I'm going to make my own face balms and lip balms and body butters because it's part of my process. It's part of this quality of life that I'm choosing. Do you feel in order to make really systemic change, mm. there are going to be, we need a fuckload of mermaids, right? You we know? do. Um, we need to build an army. <laughs> and that is hard in the face of essentially a hyper-commodified capitalist system yes. that relies on efficiency mm -hmm. that essentially strips the world of the sacred. Right. Because the sacred is think, is unique. It's making you know mm -hmm. your own pie at home instead of buying it in a plastic container or something like that. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> when we live in a culture that essentially is based on a system that consistently tells you that you are not enough, right? And then markets trinkets and devices mm -hmm. for you to invest. Uh, address those perceived deficiencies, really you need a, a grassroots revolution mm. to change the systems and structures by which we live and by which we're governed. Mm. Um, and I'm curious, like, how one does that? I mean, you're certainly doing it by example. Mm. I mean, I, and I think of like, how do you, is it, purely a grassroots movement does environmentalism and sustainability sort of have a, a marketing problem and i wonder if you could kind of talk to how you can create the critical mass to right. overturn these systems and structures that are deeply embedded in our society mm. that's why i love the health and wellness movement i love that people are starting to put their money where their mouth is. They're really, um, and yes, it's being taken advantage of and there's all sorts of marketing and trinkets to, that are catering to this new value of, of health and wellness. Um, but it shows us that, that our values can be um, commoditized in a, in a way and that we can actually, um, that environmentalism can also be pitched and promoted as a way to, to serve our health and to serve our bodies. Um, and that's why the angle around the, the science, the fact that the science, that, um, that plastic is actually contaminating and poisoning us on a daily basis and affecting our reproductive, like leading to infertility and cancer and obesity and depression and all of these things that, you know, we're actively trying to avoid 
by leading healthy lives. So I think getting this information out mainstream and, and it's really interesting actually because um, as I've been an activist in this space for a long time and the grassroots movement feels so slow and right. we'll get legislation passed and then it'll be overturned or it won't be strong enough so it won't actually make a difference. Um, and that's why I've chosen to go more into, okay, how do we inspire and, and teach people how to live this lifestyle and, and kind of package it as this like magical, sacred, yeah. beautiful mermaid lifestyle so that it's appealing and, and we show people that it's actually easy and it's beautiful and it's rich. Um, and hopefully the, the wealthier nations take this on because we, uh, the world mimics what we do. Mm-hmm. And so if we can reduce our plastic use, because it's so hard, you know, the, the, the real solution to all of this is turning off the tap of plastics. So just stopping the extraction of oil and the production and the manufacture of all these plastic products. How do we do that? You know, we try to target these corporations, but they're so, you know, they've got immense resources. Um, and, there's, and there's plenty of great movements out there that are, that are working towards that. Um, and then we also try to do the cleanup and try and work with Southeast Asia and these different countries that all of our trash is ending up and it's really leaking out into the environment there. So we try to figure out systems there as well. But what do we do? We work on the narrative. We yeah. work on changing, yeah. changing our relationship to single-use plastics so that that can become a trend and that can become a movement with, with our communities that have real impact and influence. Yeah, no, I think that that is a good point of essentially changing the story, mm. you know, and that goes back to kind of this notion of the separate self, yeah. that that is our modern story, that I'm an individual living amongst other individuals yeah. in this separate and external un- universe that I'm only a part of but not connected mm. to, um, that if we can effectively change the story to feel like more connected human beings to each other and to nature mm. that, you know, essentially we, we might not have the same sort of, I guess, resources to lobby in Washington against, you know, entrenched corporations, but we do have the power en masse of our, cons- our consumption. Our demand. Yeah. Mm. And that's, uh, and that's extremely powerful. And, and there are there is precedent for large changes of consciousness mm-hmm. you know i mean i look at like you know smoking is one that gets mm. held out there often is that you know we as a culture have changed right. largely how we've approached that notion of smoking and that's a perfect example of how we influence social change you know like social law can be so much stronger than a political law if we can make something, mm, you know, yeah. like judge, when we, um, when someone smokes, these, it used to be cool, and now it's like, oh, ew, I can't believe, it. you know, it's we created that. Yeah, that's interesting. So there's accountability. We have accountability to each other mm. there, and I guess I might ask you, kind of, in summation, you know, what is what what is uh, the relationship between community and solving? for plastics? Mm. Well, I think community is essential for solving all environmental issues, and yeah. which is like earth issues. Um, sure. coming, bringing it back to the local instead of this globalization where we're importing and exporting foods and things all over the world and, and instead coming back to the local level, to our local community and, and working with each other and the peop- our neighbors. You know, if disaster hits, we're going to need to know these people and right. who can grow food and where the water sources are. 
Yeah. You know, so coming back to that local and 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 to, more to your point or your question, in terms of our local or our social circles and our communities, how can we create these social norms? How can we be the ones to le- lead with with grace instead of pressing this and and making it that aggressive? Like you know, even can you sign this petition or you know donate now? Right. It's yeah. not this urgent. <clears throat> it's more just like this is important to me and this is. Um, this is how I'm doing it, you know, letting it be easy for other people to to um, adopt and take on and, and just outright saying, hey, let's create this as a social norm within our community because it's important. Thank you for listening to this week's episode with mermaid and activist Kate Nelson. You can follow along her plastic-free journey on her Instagram at Plastic Free Mermaid. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for me, please feel free to email me at jeffk at onecommune.com. I try to respond to every message. And that's all from the commune for this week. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I am here for you. Mm-hmm.